yesterday when we were together, um, we started off by recognizing that our lives are in fact incredibly messy. There's a lot of really good things about life. I had a donut this morning that was really good. I appreciated that part of my life in the early waking hours. But life is also very difficult because we live in a fallen environment with fallen hearts and fallen relationships. We talked about yesterday that even when we are looking for rest, we often find exhaustion physically, emotionally, spiritually. When we want to be confident, we are often filled with anxiety. When we desire, long for freedom, we often find bondage. Maybe bondage to habitual behaviors or or bondage even to other people. When we want joy, we find sorrow. Peace, we find guilt. Life is messy. Now, I think all of you in the room are old enough to, to, to know that without me telling you. But we did have a few ground rules that we laid yesterday that, that hopefully can be of help. And I just want to review those to make sure, again, that we're all on the same page as we continue forward today. So first, we need to recognize that our mess is real and that it's eternally significant. That means that our mess matters. It matters to us. It matters to our God. Our mess is also real. It's not something that we should try to ignore or isolate ourselves from or, or simply pretend that it isn't there. Because it is. It is an ever-present reality. The second ground rule was that our mess is both internal and external. It is something that we experience on the inside, in our heads and in our hearts. It's something that we experience outside of us, in our relationships, in our culture, even in our churches, in our families, right? If we kind of put those two things together, the recognition that our mess is real and that our mess is ever-present, then we begin to get an understanding together that our mess is too big for us to adequately address it. We can't wrap our hands around it. We can't wrap our minds around it. And even gathered together with the hundred-something people that are in this room this morning, we can't adequately address even the mess of one single person. Now that's rather discouraging news if we stop with just the first three ground rules. But where Scripture and where Jesus Christ and where the Gospel meets us is that God is doing something about our mess. God is moving toward our mess through the person and work of Jesus Christ. God understands who you are, where you are, what you are facing. God knows what we actually need in the midst of our various messes. And the beautiful thing is that God has adequately addressed our mess in the life, death, resurrection, and promised return of Jesus. So, in all of the ways that we've already seen God work to address our mess, guess what? God is going to continue to work to finally and fully make all things right. Now, you know that we've been in the book of Ezekiel... Uh, so far this week, and we're going to return there to Ezekiel 34 this morning. Before I read this, though, I want us to understand that what God is doing through Ezekiel, one of his Old Testament prophets, is he is making, don't miss this, kingdom promises to us. Promises that apply both to, to that kingdom that Jesus Christ inaugurated in his first coming, and a kingdom that Jesus Christ will consummate, finalize, in his return. 
And so as we look at these promises, you and I are, are in a sense going to be living in a tension, having already experienced some of these things and desperately waiting for the finalization of, of others. Okay? With that in mind, let's look together at Ezekiel 34. We're going to skip a few verses, so just hang with me as we read this together. But we'll be beginning in verse 11. Okay? Ezekiel 34, verse 11. Here we go. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, I will strengthen the weak. The fat and strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Skip down with me to verse, let's see, uh, 23. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Verse 25, I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I will make them in the places all around my hill of blessing. I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield its increase. They shall be secure in their land. They shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who have enslaved them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. I will provide for them renowned plantations, so that they shall no more be consumed with the hunger in the land, and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, that they shall know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God, and you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. All right, that was a lengthy reading, but I think as we worked our way through that, you're beginning to understand that God is giving us, Ezekiel is giving us, another word picture of our mess and God's solution. Yesterday, we saw that we, spiritually speaking, relationally speaking, just practically are, are a dirty people, right? And God cleans us, renews us, restores us, remakes us in a way that defies our expectations. Here in Ezekiel 34, we're not described as a dirty people. What are we described as? I heard people say it. You're just not confident. Sheep. Sheep. We are lost sheep. Now, before we talk about that, I, I want to set the stage for us a little bit again. Uh, some of you know that this summer, Toy Story 4 uh, came out. Uh, this is a scene from Toy Story uh, 2. 
Uh, if you're familiar with Toy Story 2, it's the one where Woody accidentally ends up as a part of the yard sale that Andy's mom is having. And as a part of that yard sale, the evil toy man uh, takes Woody because Woody, without knowing it, is actually a very valuable cowboy toy from the 50s. And he's a part of a full set that's going to be shipped to Japan for a hefty sum. Now, at the beginning, Woody thinks that this is potentially a good situation. He meets new friends. He understands that he's far more significant, at least he thinks, than he used to know. But eventually, Woody realizes that this is a terrible situation, that he is lost, that he is trapped, and that he cannot do anything about his situation. So no matter how desperate he may be for a return to Andy and his friends, he is lost and without hope. And his condition would have remained that way, except someone came looking for him. Keep that in mind as we think through Ezekiel 34 this morning. So again, our mess... According to Ezekiel 34, according to this word picture that we're given, is that we are lost. And we throw that word around a lot in the church, that, that people are lost. But what is being described here is actually the idea of, of being lost sheep. So, <clears throat> as we think about being lost I want us to understand that being compared to sheep is not a favorable comparison. Okay? We're going to talk about some of the specifics here in just a minute. But what do you know about sheep? Anybody spend significant time around sheep? They stink. Actually, all farm animals stink. But, yeah, sheep can be really stinky because their wool captures a lot of just crud, right? So sheep are smelly. What else do you know about sheep? Sheep are very unintelligent animals. Okay, we'll avoid the S word this morning. Stupid. Um, they are very unintelligent animals. I've been told, I'm not a shepherd, but I've been told that sheep will literally follow one another over a cliff to their death because one sheep decided it was a good idea. Right? So they're smelly, they're unintelligent. What else? They're what? Okay, they are largely dirty because they spend all of their time outside. They're defenseless. Right? Lions, tigers, bears, oh my. And wolves, and coyotes, and probably just about everything else you can think of, right? Sheep are dirty, smelly, unintelligent, needy defenseless creatures. God says we are like sheep. In fact, in the prophet Isaiah, we learned that all we like sheep, what? Have gone astray. That's what Ezekiel is picking up here as he talks about the fact that we are lost. He mentions very early on that like sheep, we have been scattered to kind of the four winds of the earth. I don't want to take too much time here, but really one of the realities in Old Testament Israel is that their leaders, their prophets, their priests, their kings, had been very poor leaders. And as a result, the people were confused. They had been led into disobedience. And now, through that disobedience and through God's judgment, the people are scattered. 
Now, when you think about this concept of scattered, I want us to, to understand that there's an idea that we have been distanced from one another, but that we are also all alone. Um, for years, I worked in camp ministry as like a counselor. In fact, I thought I was going to be doing camp stuff the rest of my life before uh, I became a, a pastor of a local church. One of my favorite things about being a camp counselor was when we would get a group of high schoolers together, just like you guys, and we would play night games. So it would be pitch black dark, we would send everybody out into the middle of 120 acres, um, usually with the goal of everybody spreading out and then trying to get back to a central point without getting tagged. Now the reason this was fun is because as a camp staff member, I knew the lay of the land, right? I knew where I could hide. I knew where I could run. I knew where I needed to walk. I knew where the trees were laying on the ground. I, I, I understood how to get around. The campers didn't. So that allowed the camp staff to scare people half to death because they would literally be wandering around in the dark. I also had a Grim Reaper robe that I would wear, like over my face. Um, it's fun. You know it. Um, <laughs> That's the idea of being scattered, that we are isolated, we are alone, and we are far from home. Again, some of us know what that feels like. Because we don't ever really walk into a situation where we feel safe, where we feel known, where we feel as though we are at home in this world. So we're scattered. What else? We are starving. God mentions multiple times in this passage that he will be feeding, 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 feeding his sheep. Why would sheep need to be fed? Because they are currently starving. The reality is that many of us and many of God's people in this context, we're constantly looking for greener pastures. We talked about this yesterday, but there is a, a hunger in our spirit and in our souls that is longing to be filled. And so we sort of bounce maybe from relationship to relationship or experience to experience or entertainment to entertainment because we are so desperately hungry and yet never filled. We're also exhausted. God says that one of the blessings he's going to bring, we're going to talk about this in just a moment, is that he is going to allow his people to lie down in green pastures. That goes to Psalm 23 there. Sheep could only lie down if they had been well provided for and they were well protected. Otherwise, you're just a big, fluffy, sitting duck. Right? Some of us, again, even at your young ages, you've been wandering for maybe years. You might be sitting in this room this morning and you are exhausted in every sense of the word. Yeah, you'll, you'll get up in the morning, you'll get dressed, you'll kind of plaster the smile back on your face. If you're from the South, you will tell people when they ask that you are in fact fine. Um, but deep down you know that it's not true. You're exhausted. You're exhausted maybe by your home environment and your relationship or the lack thereof with your mom or your dad. You're exhausted by the fact that you feel rejected at school. You're exhausted by the fact that you continue to sin in ways that you don't want to sin, and yet you are constantly drawn back. 
You're exhausted just trying to keep up a certain appearance or identity in front of people in order to gain their fleeting sense of acceptance. We're an exhausted people. We are injured and weak. Here's an encouraging note for your Wednesday morning. The world is a hard place. The more you live, the more you will come to know that life hurts. With all the joys and all of the gladness and all of the newness that comes with each day, we're also met with, with difficult things that cut very deep. With the loss of friends and family. With, with failures in things that were actually very important to us. As we think about these people, they had been deeply hurt through a separation that had been caused by their own disobedience and by the invasion of a foreign power. They had been injured and hurt, again, by poor leadership that had not served them, protected them, provided for them, but actually abused them and used them. Some of you know injury and hurt a lot like that. In our lostness, we are also enslaved and endangered. Enslaved and endangered. It says in verse 27 that God is going to break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those that enslave them. Now again, in that context, as Ezekiel is originally given this, this vision, this, this uh, lesson, that has a very literal sense to the Babylonian captivity. But there is a greater sense in which we are enslaved to sin. Enslaved to the prince of the power of the air. Enslaved to our own desires that come forth from a heart that is desperately wicked. Again, some of us know that enslavement and the endangerment that comes as a part of it. One of the scariest things I think in life is, is recognizing that our patterns of behavior having cert, have certain consequences, and you can even anticipate and see those consequences, and yet we choose to participate anyway. Because we don't see another option, we don't see another way, and we desperately want even that which will destroy us. We're abused and afraid. The reality here is that all of these things point to the fact that we desperately need a shepherd. We desperately need a shepherd. In a sense, everything that can go wrong with sheep is wrong here in Ezekiel 34. We, as God's people, are vulnerable. We are alone. We are hungry. We are hurt. Any of you guys familiar with the phrase blood in the water? You know what that means? I heard somebody saw a little hammerhead shark yesterday. That's kind of cool. I wasn't in the water, so I can say it was kind of cool. Um, if there's blood in the water, what does that mean? It usually means predators in the water will begin coming to the source of injury. It's not a good thing. In a sense, that's the picture we're given here. That there is real hurt, there is real danger, there is real pain, there is real loss, and the enemies are pressing in. Yesterday I talked about the song Shallow. Today I want to remind you of another song from 2017, the song Silence. 
Um, I don't know if you guys remember this one or not. It's by Marshmallow and Khalid. Um, it's another beautiful picture into, I think, the brokenness of our world that's often perceived by those who do not necessarily identify themselves as believers. Here's a part of the song. And, and kind of picturing what we just heard from Ezekiel 34, think about what's being said here. I'm in need of a Savior, but I'm not asking for favors. My whole life I've felt like a burden. I think too much and I hate it. I'm so used to being in the wrong that I'm tired of caring. Loving never gave me a home, so I'll sit here in silence. What's being described in that song? The fact that you and I are lost people in need of a shepherd. So what does God do? Well, not surprisingly, God sends the shepherd. God sends the shepherd. Look at what God promises to do again here in Ezekiel 34. He promises to gather us together. In verse 11, it says that he will search for his sheep. In verse 12, it says that he will seek out his sheep, that he will rescue his sheep. In verse 13, he will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. So God's first promise is that he is going to go looking for his people and he will find his people and that he will bring his people home to himself and home to one another. That is a beautiful, deep, covenantal, redemptive promise. Why? Because you and I were created for relationship. It is a part of our essence as human beings to be in relationship with God and in relationship with one another. That's why God came walking in the cool of the day, to relate to Adam and Eve. That's why God said it was not good for man to be alone. It's why He told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, because we are created for relationship. And God is saying, I know that you were scattered. I know that you were distant. I know that you were alone. I will gather you together. It also says that God feeds us. This is kind of cool. This is something I missed in my first few readings of this chapter, but as I prepared it, it really became very obvious. I want you to look uh, at the middle of verse 13, and we'll keep reading from there. God says, I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountains heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on the rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. Okay, here's my question for you. Where is God going to feed his people? He talked about several locations there. So my question is, where will he feed them? Where? Their own land. Okay, in their own land. What parts of that land? On the mountains. Where else? In the ravines, which is like a valley. Where else? On the pasture land. I mean, that's the correct answer. It's everywhere. God is saying, if you're on the mountain heights, guess what? I will feed you there. If you are in the depths of the valley, guess what? I will feed you there. If you are on the flat pasture land, guess what? I will feed you there. 
God is saying, I will be an abundant provider to you. Everywhere you look, there will be food. Are any of you big Thanksgiving people? Yeah. Let me tell you, at my Thanksgiving dinner, turkey is like an afterthought. Because my mother's love language is food. Now, that's a good thing. So we got turkey, yeah, that's fine. But then you got like the stuffing, or whatever you call it, dressing. You've got mashed potatoes and gravy. You've got cranberry sauce, we do two kinds. You've got multiple pumpkin pies. You've got deviled eggs. Okay? Everywhere you look, there's food. God is saying that when He comes, when He becomes our shepherd, when He seeks us out and gathers us to Himself, we will literally be fed in abundance. There will be provision everywhere we look. What else is God going to do? He provides us with rest. I just read that. It says in verse 14 that we will lie down in good grazing land. Again, when, when sheep lie down, it means that they are safe. It means that they are protected. It means that they are provided for. And God says that we will lie down in his presence because he has us, because he rules and defends us. Some of you in this room, you want more than anything to know what it looks like, maybe for just a moment of a day, to lie down in peace. Be encouraged because God promises that work for us. Let's keep going. It says that God binds our injuries. He binds our injuries. That He will take us Verse 16, he will bind up the injured, strengthen the weak. These are beautiful promises that God provides healing in the ways that we are actually hurt. When we go to God, he, he, he has the proper diagnosis. And he brings the proper treatment. You ever think about how odd it would be to go to the doctor? And like, let's say you have a massive gash on your arm. And you just you bleed out, right? It's in your car, it's on your shirt, it's in the waiting room. Big problem. And you go back to the doctor, and the first thing they say is, okay, stick out your tongue. And you're like, um, I think I know what the problem is. Well, let's take a look in your ears. You're like, I feel a little dizzy from the blood loss. <laughs> right? That's not the way God operates. God knows where we are hurt. God knows what's actually taking place. God understands how we have been injured, how you have been hurt, what is wrong and messy about your life. And God says, I will bind up the injured. God breaks our bonds. One of the most beautiful promises in Scripture is that God will be our champion and that Christ will be our king that all of the ways in which we are heavy laden and all of the ways that we are trapped and all of the ways that you and I have been enslaved, God will be our champion. I mean, let me, let me just kind of take you on a journey for a moment. <clears throat> if you're an Old Testament Israelite living in Egypt, who's in charge? The Egyptians. Let me ask you a question. Where exactly is the Egyptian Empire now? 
in history museums. If you were part of the northern kingdom of Israel, and the Assyrians invaded and even led you away with hooks through your noses, who was in charge? The Assyrians. Where's the Assyrian Empire now? If you were part of the southern kingdom, like these people, and you had been led into captivity by the Babylonians, who were so fierce, so cruel, and so powerful that they crushed the Assyrians. Where is the Babylonian Empire now? If you were a first century Christian, and you were crucified simply for believing in Jesus by the Roman government, let me ask you, where is the Roman Empire now? You see a thing? No human institution or empire or power is going to stand in the way of God's greater kingdom work. God will break our bonds and conquer our enemies. Now again, we're going to continue to unpack this theme, but don't miss one of the other things that God promises here, that he will actually come to us and live with us. In verse 30, we read, They shall know that I am the Lord their God. They shall know that I am the Lord their God with them. And that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord. God continually makes this promise in Scripture. We're going to see this later in the week. But God is is sort of obsessed. He is preoccupied. He is determined to have a people that he dwells with for eternity. Some of you have uh, deeply invested time and energy into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, You know that earlier this year we were blessed with Avengers Endgame. Um, anybody have a favorite Avenger in the room? Anybody? Black Panther. Black Panther. That's an interesting choice. I'm, I am unabashedly a Thor guy. I think Thor Ragnarok is the best of the Marvel movies. Um, so, um, here's what I want you to understand. Okay? Yeah. Oh, well. I lost you. You're dismissed. No. Um, do you know why? <laughs> Do you guys know why we actually love those movies? They are good. Um, but think about what these movies represent, right? They represent struggle, conflict, and deliverance, ultimately. We sort of put our hopes and our dreams into this gathered team of superheroes. And eventually, even though there is great conflict and much confusion and people being turned into ash and then not again, uh, okay, what I want you to understand is that we get wrapped up in this stuff because there is something deep in the core of our being that understands what they provide is what we actually need. Here's what God is saying. God is the entire Avengers team rolled up into one. Except nothing and no one ultimately stands in His way. 
Because he is omnipotent. He is omniscient. When he speaks, all creation responds. And it is that God that promises to be our shepherd. So what are some things we can take note of as we really think through what God is doing here? Well, I think we just said this, but let me just say it again. God is aware of our mess. When you look at all of the layers of what you are experiencing, of what your life is, God knows it. In this passage, God knows that His sheep are scattered. He knows that they are afraid. He knows that they are hurt. He knows that they are hungry. He knows that they are homeless. God knows where they are, and He meets every need without any sense of confusion, any stress, or any frustration. That's good news, because that means right now at this moment, God knows where you are. God knows the stresses and frustrations and temptations and disappointments that smacked you in the face this morning as soon as you woke up. God knows the burdens that you carry. God knows the things that are not right about your life. And even though it may not feel like it, even though we may not see it, even though we may not understand it, God is working to address our mess. We saw this yesterday as we talked about a a dirty people being cleansed. But again, recognize here in Ezekiel 34 that it is in fact God, again, who does the work of salvation. You and I, we are intelligent, beautiful, competent people. But you and I will never be able to accomplish the work of final salvation. That is God's work. And that's a good thing. How do I know that? Well, let's just look back at verse 11. What is the first thing out of God's mouth? For thus says the Lord God, Behold, look at this, Behold, I, I, myself... You ever talk like that? Hey, what are you going to do this afternoon? Behold, I, I, myself, am going to the beach. You're like, dude, something wrong with that person. God uses three personal pronouns. He's saying, listen, this is what I, 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 I am going to do. And as you go through this passage, it's almost comical. God says in verse 12, I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue. Verse 13, I will bring out. Verse 14, I will feed them. Verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd. Verse 16, I will seek the lost. I will strengthen the weak. What's the point? God is doing the work. If salvation is what you were longing for in this moment, then Ezekiel 34 in all of Scripture is a call to faith. A call to recognize that your condition, my condition, is desperate. That our mess is real. That our circumstances are fierce and too big. But God is capable. And God is faithful. And He will do it. Notice here in in Ezekiel 34 that also God uses covenant language. 
We don't have time this morning to unpack everything that a covenant is, but, but let, let's, let's just leave it at this. God is making a binding promise to His people. In verse 25, God says, I will make with them a covenant of peace. When God makes covenants, big things are happening in the Bible. And when God makes covenants, He keeps them every single time forever. I mean, just think about what a covenant of peace would be to a scattered, hopeless, hungry, hurting people. Now understand that in and through Jesus Christ, God has made a covenant of peace to us as His people. I don't think this will be a surprise to you. And each day we want to make a clear connection to the New Testament. But understand that Ezekiel 34 has actually been fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. John chapter 10, you can turn there if you like, you don't have to. John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking. This is actually a lengthy passage, but I'll read just a few verses. Jesus says, in in the context of this passage, in verse 11 of chapter 10, I am what? The good shepherd. Now, Jesus was a very intelligent man. He's the God-man. He's a great teacher. But let me just help you understand, this is not original material from Jesus. Jesus is saying here in John chapter 10, I am the fulfillment of what Ezekiel saw hundreds of years in the past. Jesus is saying, do you remember those promises God made to you? Do you remember the way that God described you as a hurting, desperate, scattered people? Do you remember how God accurately identified your being and your experience? Do you remember how God promised to make it right through a shepherd? I am the good shepherd. And here's the beautiful thing. What's the next phrase? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd and I will do everything necessary at any and every cost to myself to fulfill the promises that God has made. That's good news. That's good news for us. Because that Jesus is our Savior. That Jesus is our hope. That Jesus is our answer this morning. And that Jesus is returning to make all things right forever. To that end... I think it's important that we recognize, and I said this at the beginning of our time together, recognize that God's work has come and that God's work is still yet to come. You may not know this, but as New Testament believers, we actually live in a very strange tension. Here's what I mean by that. Has Jesus accomplished our salvation? Yes. Yes. Are there aspects of our salvation that Jesus has not yet accomplished? Yes. 
So what does that mean? Are we saved? Yes. yes. Are we yet to be saved? Yes. yes. There's the tension. In these promises that God has made in Ezekiel 34, we see that we are already experiencing so much of this blessing, so much of this salvation, so much of this joy and peace that God promised to us, and yet, we are still waiting. Can I just encourage you? Lean in to God and be patient by His grace. And know that in all the ways He has already fulfilled His promises, He will fulfill His promises. We're going to start bringing things to a close uh, with a movie that many of you may have seen. Many of you probably haven't. It's a movie called Saving Private Ryan. Uh, this year was the 75th anniversary of the storming of the beaches of Normandy, an operation typically known as D-Day, where the Allied forces worked to gain a foothold in continental Europe and France against the Nazi powers under Adolf Hitler. I may be wrong in this, but I believe, after what I read, this is still the largest single military operation in the history of the world. 150,000 troops were mobilized for this one effort. 14,000 died in one day. But the foothold was gained. And as we look back, we now realize that D-Day was really the beginning of the end for the Nazi powers. Saving Private Ryan begins with, with that scene, the storming of the beaches of Normandy. It is visceral. It is graphic. It is heavy. And it is hard. And as a part of this major effort to free continental Europe, we also were introduced to a team of men led by Tom Hanks. We started with Tom Hanks. Woody, right? We're in it with Tom Hanks. Um, that was on purpose. No, I don't know. Um, they're led by Tom Hanks, and they actually have a very different singular mission. Their mission is not necessarily to free continental Europe from Nazi oppression. Their mission is to save Private Ryan. You see, the Ryan family had three sons who fought in World War II, two of which were killed in earlier action. And in an a act of grace and mercy, the United States government did not want all of the children of one family to die in battle. And so, this group of men are tasked with finding and saving and returning Private Ryan, but he's not easy to find. Because he's deeper into Europe in enemy territory. He is scattered and lost desperate and hungry. But the U.S. government and this team of men do everything that is necessary to find and to save that young man. What you and I are talking about today, it, it's, it's not historical fiction. What, what you and I are talking about today is not a fairy tale, some of you are going to be offended, a fairy tale like the Avengers movies. Okay? 
What you and I are talking about today is real life. Real promises. Real salvation. And a real God who moves toward our real mess to find and to save the lost. What's the big point? God can find anyone, no matter how lost they may be. <clears throat> this morning, you may think that, that you're too far gone. You may not see any way out. The darkness may be too heavy. The burdens may be too significant. The distance may feel too great. God can find anyone. Can I encourage you this morning, if you are beginning to understand that, that you are lost in the circumstances and sin of life, can I just encourage you to pray something like this? God, I don't know where I am, and I don't know how exactly you can help, but I know that you delight in finding and saving the lost. God, come find me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the great blessing of not just promises made, but promises kept. And God, we do pray that as we continue to reflect on the things that you have promised, that we would know that Jesus is our shepherd and our salvation. We pray these things now in his name. Amen.